Section 12 of Dog Heroes of Many Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Heroes of Many Lands by Sarah Noble Ives. Chapter 12 Bruce, a Fire Dog of New York. You'll have to take him in if I bide myself, said James McMurray. Engine Company number looked on with much interest as the captain addressed the unusual applicant. A man, six feet two, in his red woolen socks, with a shock of red hair nearly as incendiary as the footwear, and with Scotland written all over him. By his side, watching the chief expectantly, stood the bonniest Highland collie that ever waved a friendly tail. His glossy black coat was set off by a collar and waistcoat of tan and he was as beautiful as his master was big and brawny. Mowbray didn't mention the dog when he spoke of you, but if the men don't object, I don't. He looks like a good specimen. You'll not find a better. Bruce has been with me upwards of two year, and a finer herder you'll not find in New Jersey. The chief laughed. There won't be much herding to do in the fire department unless you can teach him to herd the crowds and keep em out from under our feet at a blaze and he won't find them lambs to handle either it's the fine mascot he'll be making jim callahan spoke from the depths of the room where he was polishing the engine brasses there's one of the men to speak for himself said captain warner we'll make a try at taking him on and see how it goes what did you say his name was robert bruce mcburry and it's a fit name. He's a king among collies. No doubt as to his nationality at any rate, laughed the captain. So Bruce became a member of Engine Company Number, and the stock farm in New Jersey where his master had trained him knew him no more. Instead of herding sheep and cattle, he had to learn to avoid teams in the rushing whirl of New York traffic. It was difficult, and at first he was dazed, by the never-ending pell-mell of it. But he was young, and he soon forgot the quiet meadows and the lazy cattle, and learned to love the hurly-burly, the roar and rattle of wheels on the pavements, the shriek of the brakes on the elevated, and the steady, tireless hum of the great hive. Following his master's example, he settled down into the daily routine of the station, as well as into the hearts of the fire-laddies. They were a fine set of men, those big, strong chaps, with the courage of heroes to do and die in times of danger, and the tenderness which grew out of their trade of life-saving. The captain looked upon his company with great pride, and he, as well as some of the others, had, tucked away with their treasures, medals for courage in action. James McMurray hugged himself for pleasure at the thought that fortune had thrown him among men of his own kind. As for Bruce, his life in New Jersey had given him a love for horses, and who did not love those magnificent specimens formerly found in New York's engine-houses, now gone, alas, before the inrush of auto-trucks and engines. Bruce certainly divided his allegiance between the men and the four-footed heroes, and gave to the latter his special attention. He saw to it three times a day that they were properly fed and watered. He superintended their rubbing down and grooming, and sanctioned, by a wag of his tail, 
the preparation of their beds at night. The rest of the work of the engine-house was also performed under his eye of approval. The big brass engine could never have been kept in such a state of shining radiance without Bruce as overlord. Tim Callahan laughed as he swabbed on the polish and rubbed it down. "'Sure now, Bruce, and what'd you be doing to me if I forgot to shine one of those nuts? You'd herd me back and make me do my work over again, I'll be bound. And as for Pete Tinkum there, he never in all his life bullied that floor to the extent he has since we had a mascot to our names, Glory Be. It was a grand day when you dropped into our midst, James McMurray, you son of a Scotch thistle.' So the ordinary doings of the day passed, with much rough, good-humored banter. Evenings the men sat around in a room on the upper floor of the engine-house, telling stories, reading, or playing cards. The room would have passed muster and taken a prize in any company of New England housewifely products, so spandy clean it was. The row of white iron bedsteads were a joy to see, with their covers turned down all at the same angle. On the floor, by the side of each one, stood a pair of rubber boots with soles so thick that the wearer might slosh about freely in the neighborhood of the hydrant with no fear of wet feet. Also, he might trample over broken glass and never risk a puncture. Fastened to the boots were a pair of heavy trousers, made so that a fireman, waking to the alarm in the night, had only to step into the whole contraption and pull the fastening straps up over his shoulders. Coats and helmets were hung on the engine and hose cart to be donned when under way, thus reducing to a minimum the time for dressing. At night, Bruce slept at the foot of McMurray's bed, with one ear cocked for the fire alarm, and when it rang, no matter what the day's weariness might have been, Bruce was down the stair and at his post before the quickest man among them could slide down the pole or the horses, released automatically from their stalls, could leap to their places. It was a sight worth seeing as he barked and capered, apparently sure that the harness could not have dropped to its place and been buckled on by the first man down had he not been there to bark his orders. When the great doors swung open and the engine leaped out, Bruce took his place under it, or as near under as the shower of sparks and coals would permit and to the scene of action he galloped, as did the horses, as faithful to the fiery monster as its own belching smoke. He grew to have a real passion for a fire. Daytime or nighttime, it was always the same. Where the engine went, there went Bruce, certain that no blaze could be quenched without him. People of the neighborhood grew to look for the black wraith that moved like the very shadow of the engine. The hose-cart he did not favor at all, even when his master rode thereon. The sparks that singed his coat never made him swerve from his allegiance to the brass fire-devil. The small boys watched him rapturously, and a night call would find more than one pajama-clad worshipper looking out of a window to see the fire-dog. Daytimes they lingered enviously around, as near the engine as the rules allowed but they could only adore from a distance. The law of the engine company forbade familiarity with small boys, and Bruce was a keeper of the law. He might wave his brush amiably if a particularly enticing whistle attracted his attention, 
but never did his wooers win him from the straight and narrow path the fire-dog remained as aloof and inspiring as the big engine itself now there are fires and rumors of fires a many in new york city but with most of them the prompt dash and the finely trained equipment brings the danger to an end in its very beginnings occasionally however a fire will work out of sight and does not disclose itself until it has made good headway then it means a stiff fight and no recess for all hands even to save adjoining buildings sometimes too a fire will start in highly combustible material and then look out the red demons leap and clutch everything in sight and even a hurry call to every company within range fails to check the flames this is what happened on a windy autumn night a big paper factory on eleventh avenue caught fire in the basement and the flames went racing and howling skyward gutting floor after floor till the whole place was a seething flame it was not a case of saving the building itself that was doomed from the first upflying spark but of keeping the fire from spreading calls were sent in for all the available engines in the district it was a wild scene the flames leaping and roaring the streams of water going bravely into the red furnace only to issue forth again in clouds of steam and vapor the network of rubber serpents each manned at the nozzle by sweating helmeted heroes the shouting and howling of the crowd as floor after floor disappeared in the dragon's mouth the yells of the firemen as they popped out of neighboring skylights and proceeded to wet down the roofs that were dangerously near it was pandemonium and through it all the only quiet things were the horses quivering with excitement they stood at their posts waiting only the word of command that meant time for the drenched and weary men to be taken home the mad fury of the fire held every man however gritting his teeth over his special duty in the turmoil pete tinkham who drove the engine that night for company number bruce's engine did not see that the fire was beginning to blaze at the corner of the block where his horses stood no one noticed the heat grew fiercer and fiercer and then the horse nearest the flames quietly and without a moan dropped in his tracks no one saw but bruce who as usual during a fire remained in charge of his engine surely it was wrong that a horse one of his horses should die bruce darted toward a man who was toiling along with a great flapping hose and tried to get his attention he did not even look at the dog he tried the chief whom he knew but the chief only said back bruce out of the way from man to man he ran vainly trying to get their attention then out of a black doorway came pete tinkham waving an axe and looking wildly for a spare man to help him on the roofs where a new blaze was starting Poof! he was nearly knocked flat by the rush of the dog who leaped upon him barking and pawing him frantically pete stopped this was unusual in bruce who had hitherto behaved himself so well when the company was in action for the love of mike what are ye up to said pete as he righted himself bruce dropped to the ground 
and turned toward his engine, then looked back at Pete and barked. What's wrong, I say? Then Pete looked and saw the fallen horse just in time to save the others who were slowly suffocating. And after that, roofs might burn for all of Pete, with his beloved horses dying at their post. He lost no time in getting them to a place of safety. And there was mourning that night at Engine House Number, for a good horse fallen, and there was rejoicing, too, because of a dog who had proved himself a fit companion of heroes. At another fire, also, Bruce became a lifesaver. A tenement on 20th Street, packed with human beings, caught fire, and for hours every nerve of every man in every company on the spot was strained almost to the breaking point. People hurled themselves from windows into nets. People climbed down gutter spouts, or dropped themselves hand over hand, from cornice to blind, from blind to window sill, and so to safety, or death on the pavement below. One mother went mad for a moment, and refused to give up her baby to the fireman on the ladder, whereupon mother and child were seized bodily and carried shrieking to the ground. It was a fire with more smoke than flame, and the halls and stairways were so choked with the black fumes that it took the most dogged courage of the pluckiest men to go in and find the beings huddled behind doors or lying where they had fallen at the very window sills. The firemen could not stay long at the work. They were compelled to come out to save their own lives, leaving others to go on with the task. One more dash, and the last room would be searched, and everyone still living would be out of the building. The fire, too, was getting under control, but the smoke was still dense and awful. In the death-filled atmosphere, James McMurray and Cummings, with a no-longer-needed hose, groped their way along the hall of the second floor to the landing. In the general melee, the railing had been broken, and McMurray, not knowing this, reached out to find it overreached himself, stumbled, and fell head foremost into the hall below. As he fell, he put out a hand, caught at the edge of the landing, and thus broke the fall, but at the same time swung himself in under the staircase, where he lay, stunned and alone in the reek of smoke. It could not have been for long, for he would have been quite smothered. Cummings, who was ahead, made his way to the blessed air, unaware of the fact that his working-mate had fallen. The worst was over. Captain Warner hastily counted his staff. "'Where's McMurray?' "'He went in with me after that hose,' said Cummings. "'He was right behind. Didn't he come out?' No one had seen him. "'In after him, boys. He won't be higher than the second floor.' "'Lucky,' said Cummings. "'The other stairways are broken.' Up to the second landing groped two men, feeling with their feet all over the darkened hallways. Nobody there. Nobody in the room. No one in the hall below. The men returned to their mates. Can't find him. We'll have to get the ladder for that third story. Hark! Captain Warner lifted his hand. A dog was barking inside the tenement. Now a black collie appeared at the door gave an impatient yelp, and disappeared again. "'I'll warrant he's found the boy,' cried Callahan. After the dog he dashed, 
and in a minute he reappeared, bearing the unconscious body of McMurray. "'Give him fresh air!' said the captain, pushing back the crowd. "'He needs it bad. He's not dead, though.' "'Aye, I'm all right,' said McMurray, lifting himself dizzily on his elbow. "'How did you find me in the smoke?' "'Bruce found you. You were under the staircase, where no sane fireman would ever think of falling. How the dog smelled you in that smoke passes me.' "'Well,' said McMurray, as he sat up and rubbed his bruises, "'Bruce is a real canny dog. "'I dare be saying he'd find me in—in—' in "'Mount Vesuvius,' said Captain Warner, laughing. "'Aye,' said James McMurray, solemnly, stumbling to his feet. "'Or in the bottomless pit.' "'For three January days in the year of 1890, New York City had been lost in as wild a snowstorm as even the bravest cares to face. Side streets were blocked and almost impassable. Even Fifth Avenue, with the biggest effort of the street cleaners, could only boast a bit of sidewalk and two narrow roadways. Flanking a long-drawn-out Mont Blanc that stretched from Washington Square to Mount Morris Park. Then, on the fourth day, the dawn broke clear, breathing out of the north a wind with an icicle edge to it, a wind that bit into exposed faces and fingers until they cried out for mercy, a wind that pounced upon Harlem, and two minutes later was seeping across the battery and the bay. It sent the work of the cleaners whirling again in great, unmanageable masses. It shrieked around the casements and ate into the hearts of the houses, until the janitors, even the stingiest, were fain to pile the coal high in the furnaces to save their own skins. And woe betide the unlucky who dwelt where furnaces were not. And thereby hung a tale for the firefighters. Chimneys stuffed with soot and overheated, red-hot kitchen stoves that sat the chimney cupboards stewing until they sprang into flames. Imperfect flues, the firemen can tell you the list of causes that force them out to fight harder than ever in the bitterest weather. So it was now. All day the alarms kept ringing, and blaze after blaze was fought at odds and with grim desperation. It was a hard day, and at nightfall, when the men on duty at engine house number sat down to a supper brought in to them, that they might be on hand for a quick call. They did so with fervent prayers that they might be spared further labor, for they were spent. It was snug and cozy in the little upper room that evening, despite the wild wind. But outside the gale was rising, and when Callahan reported that the mercury was sitting in the bulb, Bergora, with his hands and feet folded out of sight, everyone shuddered and turned in for the night with extra blankets and not even an ear left out for the alarm. Bruce got a blanket of his own, and McMurray was considered the lucky man to have such a hot water bag to his feet. Sleep, well earned, settled down on all. But it rang, oh yes, hardly had the most case-hardened got his first forty winks when a call came, and a hurry call, and a double call for all hands and the cook. The indicator told them that the fire was near Madison Avenue, at the big stables. Clang, clang, clang! The horses bounded to their places. 
the harness leaped to their backs the men were booted down the pole and struggling into their coats along the running board of the hose cart before you could mention john the son of robin you'll have to bide at home to-night bruce said mcmurray as he swung to his place on the engine it's too cold a blast for them as has no need to go out bruce's tail dropped to zero and he stepped back a pace bide at home shouted mcmurray as the doors flew open and the engine spitting and belching and chugging was drawn into the bleak wind-swept snowdrifts bide at home he yelled as they turned a corner bruce stayed his feet until the rumble and clangor grew faint then the ruling passion became too strong a fire and he not there to guard his engine impossible better would it be to disobey james mcmurray than to let his engine perish and shame come upon company number down the street went a black collie plunging and burrowing his way through the eddying drifts now galloping faster where the street had been partly cleared when the scene of the fire was reached bruce a little breathless but still in the ring was trotting at the tail of his own particular charge mcmurray saw him but this was no time for lessons in morals the stables were burning fiercely and there were thirty-five horses to be saved to the song of the north wind the fire added its crackle and roar already it had gained terrific headway a dull red smoke poured from the blistered and broken windows tongues of flame shot from the roof the whole upper loft was one blazing mass and the flying clouds above reflected the strange unearthly light water was of no avail it froze as it struck the building and fell in great hissing icicles into the flames the lower story was covered with a great casing of ice in that awful cold the elements failed to destroy each other and underneath all this horror were thirty-five horses whinnying trembling suffocating and paralyzed with fear some of the firemen worked with the stable hands to get the horses out before the flooring should fall and engulf them when those heavy beams gave way there was not a moment to be lost hastily blinding the horses eyes with blankets the men led them one by one bucking and plunging out into the street twelve they had saved and had returned for more when that unaccountable desire for the protection of their own roof seized the liberated beasts there was a wild rush the horses knocking down firemen and every obstacle panic seized those that were being let out and they broke away violently in one moment all were back again under the roaring furnace of the loft a cry of anguish went up from the crowd that swayed and surged along the line of fighting police fire mad yes all of them and now who would dare go in after them already the flames were licking between the boards above them and the roof was tottering when that fell the hole would go firemen dropped hose and axes and tried to force them back no use the smoke in the stables was so dense that nothing could be there long and breathe james mcmurray battled desperately with a great cart horse but it was blinded and insane from fright and absolutely unmanageable something on four feet went galloping past mcmurray after the horse he had vainly tried to save something black with a collar of tan and a waving tail 
now from the stables rang out a dog's bark strong clear insistent bruce gasped mcmurray fire mad too the little devil said callahan with a sob in his smoke-dried throat head him off you rascals he called to the quaking stable hands he'll burn with the bunch speak soft man said james mcmurray grasping the irishman by the shoulder for callahan was about to dive into the death trap hold your wits and look look man don't you see the bonny laddie he's herdin em he's herdin the horses like sheep and they dare not disobey he's bitin their heels now look how they mind him glory be whispered callahan as if afraid of breaking the spell will you see the likes of that he's doing what no man would dare do the crowd had stopped shouting the roar of the wind and the flames went on but every human heart stood still out they came two four six ten twenty horses dazed with the smoke helpless with fear but fear now of a thing that barked and bit their heels unceasingly and would not let them rest lastly came a black collie herding them carefully no chance for one to turn back they must go on goaded relentlessly still the crowd kept silent has he got them all no but he's saved twenty likely the others are suffocated with the smoke on they went then as the cold struck them the horses looked back at their burning home and paused would they rush again yes no robert bruce mcmurray with his stock farm training keen quick sharpened to the task never gave them a loophole barking biting jumping on them nipping at their heels anywhere but always between them and the danger he forced them to belie their instincts and go on whither they were driven then the crowd broke into such a cheer as drowned the voices of fire and storm the horses at the sound surged backward and then they broke into a mad rush helter-skelter the mob leaped back to let them through twenty horses and one black and tan collie down the side street to madison avenue through the whirling drifts away from the hell of smoke and flame and ruin down the avenue they galloped until bruce herded them into another side street out of sight and sound of the fire twenty horses saved and one hero the more against the wall of a brewery he brought them together and held them shivering in the icy tempest until the stable hands captured them and led them to shelters in other stables down on his knees went james mcmurray he and the dog almost disappearing in the big snowdrift into which they rolled the strong man caught the dog in his arms and called him his dear and his crudelin do he and he picked him up and held him kicking and struggling high above his own unhelmeted red head while the crowd laughed cheered cried yelled and forgot all about the other fire lads who were still struggling with the waning fire there was just one thing for them and that was a collie with a singed black and tan coat whose name was robert bruce mcmurray the following week engine house number 
was astonished to see a smart and polished delivery wagon, driven by a smart and beliveried flunky, draw up impressively at their door. From the inside of the vehicle the flunky produced and delivered a package marked Robert Bruce McMurray. Callahan, with mouth agape, received it and looked at the address, wondering. Hey, McMurray, I think your dog is receiving a wedding present. It's a grand time for the company when Tiffany drives up to its door. McMurray took the box. It's very well gotten up, he said, turning it over and regarding its white and shining magnificence. Open it, man, said Cummings, as he and the others came up to look. It's a wonderful thing. Where do you think it came from? Open it! Open it! Here! I'll whip those ribbons off with a whack of my knife. No, no, Callahan, I'll untie it. Tis a bonny box, and I wouldn't clip the strings. Gently now. Tis of leather. And lined with satin. Woo! There, in the soft radiance of its cushioned bed, lay a magnificent dog collar, just Bruce's size and a plate of solid gold tacked to it by the saints look there's wording on it will you read it now said callahan lifting it from its cushion and handing it to the captain who had just come in the captain read aloud robert bruce mcmurray the fire dog in grateful remembrance of services rendered on the night of january twenty seventh eighteen ninety from the owner of the stables to the dog who saved the lives of twenty horses. Bruce looked up wonderingly as McMurray slipped the circle over his head. It's a proud day for the engine house, and for me, said the man. His voice trembled on the last word. It's a proud day for the whole company by the same token, said Callahan. I was expecting to see a crown out of that box. Long be the day before Bruce gathers with the saints and wears a halo. End of section 12. Recording by Scarlet, Louisiana. End of Dog Heroes of Many Lands by Sarah Noble Ives.